You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. Investors are taking more time to make their decisions and, and going through a proper due diligence process. And also, I would say the startups that are now being able to raise money have a completely different profile than the startup that were successful in raising money two, three years ago. Welcome back to the Multiplier Effect. This season, we're focusing on investing in a recession. Each week, you will hear from thought leaders of the Endeavor Network about relevant topics related to investing and navigating business during economic downturns. I am Claudia Duran, Managing Director of Endeavor Miami, and I'm thrilled to share that today I'm joined by our guest, Ricardo Pero, co-founder of and CEO of Sellers Funding, and also an Endeavor entrepreneur from the Miami Network office. Welcome, Ricardo. Hi, Claudia. Thank you for having me here. Excited to to be part of this initiative from Endeavor. Thank you for being with us today. We're very happy to have you. Are you ready to get started? Yes, let's get the ball rolling. Exciting topic, very top of mind these days with everything that is happening in the economy, right? Very true. So my first question before we get started into the topic and for our audience to really get to know you more, please tell the audience a little bit about your background and about sellers funding and also how the sellers funding stay up to date with the rapidly changing e-commerce landscape. Yeah, sure. So a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born in Brazil. I moved to the U.S. Um, 23 years ago. Did my MBA at Columbia University. When I moved to the U.S., I was working for Citigroup. Um, spent uh, seven, almost eight years at Citi, then two years at, at B of A, and then my last uh seven years in the financial industry or like working for big corporations was with JP Morgan. I left JP Morgan in 2016 and we started Sellers Funding in 2017. It was a good transition when I left JP Morgan and I knew two things. I wanted to do something where I could leverage my experience throughout these years in, in the financial industry but I was certain that I would never go back to work for a big bank. So that was my my take and my motivation to, to start Sellers Funding. And after uh, about six months uh, doing some, some uh, a lot of research in, in different segments of the financial industry, like wealth tech, rag tech, lending, uh, I was invited by a friend of mine to help him uh, revamp his e-commerce business, and that's how I learned about. Uh, I learned more about Amazon. I learned more about e-commerce, and I saw this huge opportunity to to create uh, an online lending platform that would be dedicated to e-commerce. 
the way I, I thought about it, you know, I saw e-commerce outpacing the growth of overall retail, and I thought, I thought this is a secular trend. Um, there's no way I can go wrong here. Uh, we started the business 2017, and we constantly, since we started the business, we, we grew uh, over 100% year over year. And then the pandemic hit. And then if in anything that you thought that e-commerce would be by the end of, of this decade became true in a couple of years, right? And then here we are now with sellers funding being a leader in the in the space and, and becoming a reference. I'm very proud with the work we did so far. Wow, what a great story. Very difficult decision to leave the corporate world and become an entrepreneur, but you made the right one and you chose your the perfect co-founder for building Sellers Funding. Yeah, my dad was a, an entrepreneur and I worked with him for a year or so. And then I decided to not to to work anymore. And he asked me why. I said, for the same reason that you didn't work with your dad, <laughs> you need to. I need to find my own path. And but I learned good things and and bad things from that experience. Uh, but life changed, and um, I end up working for a big company, a multinational company in Brazil. And then la later, a few years later, I was with City and. That took my career to a different path, but here I am. I think that was always part of my aspiration. Yeah. Well, I will invite you for coffee so we can talk about how it was working for your dad because I also worked with my parents a couple of years. But that's <laughs> for a different podcast. Yeah. So my next question is, we know you closed your latest equity round during 2021. Could you share what raising capital has been during the pandemic and what can entrepreneurs apply from your experience to this current economic climate? Yeah, I think that monetary policy had a big uh, influence in, in, in investors' behavior right after the pandemic because you saw interest rates coming down and, and the Fed being very active in, in providing liquidity to the markets. Again, this is like even a bigger effort than what we saw um, in, in the 2008 crisis from an absolute number. And, um, and then what happened, we, we had plenty of liquidity, uh, a very um, friendly investment environment, financial environment for, for startups in our segment because you were facing um, in the e-commerce and, and SaaS business, healthy growth and a very low interest rate environment. So uh, we benefit and other lenders benefit from, from that uh, when you, you can have healthy spreads and in a very uh, robust economy at least in our segment, and that was beneficial. So um, the experience of raising capital during that period is, is kind of easy because actually investors were chasing good deals and, and, and given the, the amount of cash available to be deployed, 
um, the due diligence process was lighter than used to be. And now I think that we are seeing a reverse to the mean. I think that investors are taking more time to make their decisions and, and going through a proper due diligence process. And the, also, I would say the startups that are now being able to raise money have a completely different profile than the startups that were successful in raising money two, three years ago. Yeah, that's very true. So thank you for sharing that. And besides equity, Ricardo, you have you also raised debt uh, from debt facilities to be able mm -hmm. to lend to e-commerce companies. How has the process of raising debt facilities uh, been in the past two and three years, right? Any learnings you would want to share with other entrepreneurs that are considering raising debt? Oh, there are two types of debt, and there uh, you, you have the facilities that we placed with with institutional investors, and now we are closing a, a second one, second large one, with a bank. Um, there is a, um, you know, there's a large number of requirements from a reporting point of view in our business that we need to be in compliance and. Uh, working with rating agencies, working with independent auditors, and creating a framework that provides transparency to to investors. Also, recently, there has been a wave of uh, venture debt funds that are kind of bridging the gap from between capital raises. Yeah, that's also a, a phenomenon, something that is very trendy these days for startups that have um, cash flow to to uh, cover their debt to service ratios and have a clear path to profitability. Um, you see a lot of activity in, in that space. And it's all about having a, a track record that supports the thesis that you're going to be in a cash flow positive profitable position for by the time that the debt matures so venture debt we're talking about on average like give or take three years and you're going to give up less equity you're going to uh, it's going to be a combination of a loan with high interest rates yes. plus warrants and uh, we we've been seeing a lot of activity in in that that space. Uh, so there there are these two types of of debt. Uh, for our business, the credit facilities is what we call raw material, right? So capital for me is raw material. I need to to get that capital and transform into to our final product. Um, so, which, is the, which is the working capital for most of your clients? Correct. Working capital and payment solutions, instant payment solutions, and um, we we cannot we cannot uh, continue our our growth trajectory without additional uh, support from from other lending platforms or other lenders. Yeah, because you're, at the end of the day, you're an intermediary, right, between 
the lending facility or the bank and the end customer. And the final, yeah. Yeah, in, in five, a little, almost six years now, we have 40,000 registered users in the platform. Um, our active users represent about $10 billion in GMV. And uh, we have a, a book that is constantly growing. So we need to keep up with, with that growth. You do have a lot of demand. Yes. And unfortunately, the quality since mid last year, like second half of last year, we saw deterioration in the quality of our applications. Okay. Uh, it's a reflection of tough times in the economy. And e-commerce specifically went through a hard time. Yeah. We started last year uh, coming out of a crisis in, supply, in the supply chain where transportation costs were at all time high and, and our customers were having issues securing uh, supply of, of their products. So we start the year, um, remember like 2020 and 2021 were years of hyper growth for e-commerce. Yeah. At the end of 21, we finished the year with high growth, high transportation costs, and a lot of uncertainties. China was closed. There was a lot of uncertainty in terms of um, timing to secure additional products. What happened? Uh, across the board, most of these companies, they overstocked. They, they secured the supply of, of their products and they they plan okay 2020 21 high growth 2022 high growth and then what happened we didn't see that growth uh, sales stalled you end up having to deal with high inventory and, and increasing costs from Amazon and all other logistic companies and uh, that put additional pressure on margins. Then the Fed started raising rates. Capital costs became higher. And so they put a lot of pressure in, in a lot of business. And, and the business that didn't have healthy margins or didn't have bargaining power to, to deal with their suppliers, they suffered the most. And that became like a... I'd say a mini crisis in the in the e-commerce space for SMEs, uh, and that caused a deterioration in the in, in the applications that we saw in the second half. Things are going back to normal now because transportation costs are are, are back to pre-pandemic crisis, okay. uh, and things are are going back to normal. But consumer consumer confidence and consumer behavior is still soft softer than used to be. Tell me more about that, because I would think that during the pandemic, a lot of people were buying online. So e-commerce was on, there was demand for e-commerce, different platforms that you would buy products. Mm -hmm. Companies had inventory, but the problem was also the shipping. How do I get the inventory to the end customer if I can't, the logistics part was not working, yeah. right? So talk now, what are you seeing in that? Is there still high demand for e-commerce products? 
And no, the demand is there. And, and look, I don't know a single person that doesn't have at least one box from Amazon a day at home. <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing how um, Amazon and other marketplaces like Walmart is the fastest growing marketplace in our platform. Oh. Um, <clears throat> they... They secure, uh, they, they, there is a shift in, in, in consumer behavior and now everybody, um, there, there is, I don't think there is a single household in the US that they don't buy online on a regular basis. But the growth is, is slower than it used to be. So the absolute number and the percentage of e-commerce as a percentage of retail sales remains high or is growing mm -hmm. and is growing at a faster pace than brick and mortar retail, but it's not, not growing as fast as it used to, to grow. Got it. Understood. Thank you for sharing that. And you are a data-driven organization and has the general uncertainty in the economic or the current economic climate led to a shift in sellers' funding operations? Like after you, we spoke about all the different factors, can you share if anything has changed in, in the operations of your company? For example, a shift in focus from customer acquisition to customer retention. We have the deterioration in credit quality led us to be a little bit more conservative in our approval rate. There was a shift from client acquisition to customer retention for sure, and also exploring more our uh, our user, our existing users in the platform. Um, as you know, we are going through a, a rebranding exercise. We are moving from sellers funding to sellers fi. Uh, the idea is to promote more and, and show more the strength of our platform in promoting non-credit related products. So we we have our digital wallet, we, we have the ability to receive marketplace payouts in multiple currencies. Uh, we, we leverage that infrastructure to do cross-border lending. Uh, we have a prepaid card. Uh, in a couple of months, we'll be launching uh, we'll, we'll be offering insurance to our clients. So the idea is to branch out of the lending platform label to a financial platform um, idea. And, and so that's kind of a reflection of, of the work being done in the first five, six years of the company. And, and I think that we reach a maturity level that allows us to, to branch into to other products. Very interesting. It makes total sense. It's almost like a one-stop shop for your clients. That's the idea. And a one-stop shop specializes in e-commerce. Very good. Very good. Yeah. And do you have any insights that you want to share about the data that you gathered? Last year, we when there was a lot of of the beginning of the year, we 
we saw for the first time that one of the metrics that we we measure is the acceleration of sales comparing that with different time frames like past 30 days past 3 months past 6 months past 12 months and the beginning of the year we saw that indicator like beginning of the la- the the previous year we saw this acceleration the numbers going down 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 and then by the end of the first quarter that number turning to negative that was the first time that that number was negative since we started the business and with that we took a decision to stop hiring okay and we we made some changes in our cost structure and we did some performance related uh, changes in the the team structure and that saved us a lot of headaches down the, the down the year it's impressive the power of analyzing the data that can actually lead to very strategic decisions for your business and the the financial health of your of your business right so yeah that is impressive yeah yeah we saw we saw that our clients would probably suffer and we decided to take a more conservative approach it was a good catch very good very yeah good. Congrats on that. Thank you. uh, As a provider of capital, are there any trends you're seeing in your customers' growth? Are there any trends you're seeing in the e-commerce sector in general? I don't know how close you follow what what happened to, especially to the Amazon space in the last two, three years. And I'd say... uh, Approximately like a hundred aggregators, so-called aggregators or roll-ups were formed. Uh, people that had access to capital, had some expertise in house to manage online stores and Amazon stores. They raised capital and they start buying those brands, uh, multiple brands and start consolidating that under one roof, having you know, one operation uh, to, to manage those brands. Most of these aggregators failed. And they face, like our clients, they, they at some point last year, they, they were looking at their inventory levels. They had products that were not selling well, um, increasing logistic costs and so on. So they had to slash prices and that hurt a lot of Amazon sellers, especially the smaller ones, because they didn't have pricing power to compete with these giants. And that's, that has created some additional compression in margins. I think that that trend is kind of fading away. You see uh, between September last year and, and January this year, inventory levels are still high from historical uh, in a historical perspective, but way lower than they were a year ago. Okay. Okay. So we, we, we are seeing better numbers now than we saw in the second 
half of last year, and I believe that the trend will will is is positive. Got it. So, what opportunities do you see for e-commerce businesses to take advantage of, like currently? Yeah. Um, e-commerce is global, right? So, the way the way I think about e-commerce, and I, I think that our clients should be thinking similar way. Um, I look at the U.S. The U.S. is the second biggest consumer market in the world. And we build a platform that allows uh, foreign clients to that sell in the U.S. to have a full suite of financial solutions here. So you have European, Canadian, Australian, Chinese uh, clients, Latin American clients coming to to sell in the U.S. And e-commerce allows SMEs to complete compete globally. Amazon allows SMEs to complete, compete globally. So we see that from our foreign clients selling here, but I, I also see an opportunity for, for U.S. SMEs to complete, compete globally, reaching out to different consumer markets um, by, you know, Europe, uh, Canada. Of course, it's, it's hard to compete with Chinese Yes, merchants in China, but there is plenty of opportunity to do cross-border. Uh, this is one trend, uh, and this is something that in the past SMEs, small business, didn't have a chance to compete globally. Nowadays, they have. So I think this is one macro trend that won't stop here, and it's going to be more and more. I don't know if you know, but on average, 50% of of SMEs selling uh, on Amazon are foreigners, regardless of the country. So if you go to Europe, it's about the same. If you go to Canada, it's even higher. The number of is like 30 or 40% Canadian, 60, 70% foreigner. And the list goes on and on. So it's a global phenomenon. So from a macro perspective, this is one trend. And from a U.S. perspective, uh, still to be seeing some uh, a company that will challenge Amazon in a meaningful way. Amazon still represents about 50% of online sales in the U.S. Wow. Uh, but Walmart is catching up and, and is growing fast. You see other platforms like eBay, for example, losing market share and struggling to find an identity for themselves. So that's also another trend interesting to follow. Okay, so so if you are an SME, doesn't matter where in the world you are, you can tap into the U.S. market using Amazon or sellers funding to also get the sweet the, the the set of products you can offer them right yeah so. we can offer digital bank we, we can offer digital wallet we can offer uh, we have a partnership with city to offer uh, global digital accounts to receive marketplace payouts in dollars euros pounds cad and, and so on okay, so, so you've heard it if you are looking for a one-stop shop for your business to enter the u.s market 
you should check out Sellers Funding, soon to be rebranded to Sellers Fi. Correct. Great. And uh, my last question would be, like, what advice do you give SMEs on how to really position themselves and their products? Obviously, they have to have a product market fit and a demand for their product, but how to really gain market share? Are there any, is there a clear roadmap that you follow, for example, or any prioritization for certain things they have to really think about before they enter the U.S. market, or if they're in the U.S., what advice would you give them in in relation to just scaling their business, obviously, right? Sure, sure. So I would say uh, and, and this is my mind managing a, a financial company but um, and I, I can tell you about my experience at sellers funding and what we prioritize we are obsessed to to provide a great customer experience um, and you can translate that into a great product that will be purchased or will face high demand from, from customers. Uh, if you have a product, if you have a service, you need to focus on, on, on client experience and we are obsessed with that here. Get your financials in place, especially if you are a foreign company and you are entering a new market, find a trustworthy accountant, tax advisor, get your financials in place, make sure that you have the right setup in order to optimize your taxes and try to identify partners that will support you no matter where you are. Uh, I think that having the right partners, if you're talking about e-commerce, you're talking about logistics, you're talking about advertisement, you're talking about financial, partner. So you need to have strong partner that will grow together with you. Yes. Right. So those are my two cents. Okay, perfect. Well, I love it. You've heard it from Ricardo. These are great advice. It's great advice. Great story. Great everything. I really admire everything that you and Fabio have built and we've been supporting both of you through Endeavor. So I've seen the the growth that you've achieved. So with a lot of work, but it's paying off. So congratulations. But before you go, we have a couple of fun Endeavor segments. And the first one is call me crazy moment. Okay. The founder of Endeavor, Linda Rothenberg has always said, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your crazy, call me crazy moment? Oh, yeah. No, the, the, I mean, letting go a career of 15, 16 years, a successful career um, at a bank or working for big banks, a lot of people call me crazy. A lot of people call me crazy. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say that, 
that was probably unanimous. And I said, well, if you're calling me crazy now, I mean, you don't know me because that was <laughs> that was always the plan. That was pretty accurate. Okay, great. Yeah. So lastly, some quick uh, questions for you. Name a company and CEO that you most uh, admire or that inspires you. Blackstone. I really admire the, the history behind it. Uh, and I, I really relate in, in many aspects with what, what he has uh, achieved. Steven Schwartzman is the CEO there, or he was the founder and CEO. I don't know if he, I, I believe he's still active as a CEO. And what are you reading or listening to right now? Uh -huh. So, I mean, I I have a problem that I never read I one book at a time. Okay. I usually try to read a business-related book and something completely not related to okay. to business at all. Nowadays, I, I'm reading start. And start with why. I love it, Simon Sinek. Yeah. So I'm in the middle of that that book, and something less less. And what's uh, the other one? No, I'm still I'm in between, so I need to choose one. If you have any recommendations, send my way. Okay, I'll send you a couple. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and the last one is, what's some of the best business advice you have ever received? I have, I have, I have, I was lucky. I had many mentors in my, my career working for, for big banks. Um, my, I had a boss at City called Ralph Tipple. He was amazing. Uh, I had one at JP Morgan called Anton Peel. He is now the head of alternative investments at JP Morgan. And they were great mentors for different reasons. Ralph was, uh, you know, hardworking, very structured, very black and white type of guy. Anton is like a machine, like a, a sales engine. And the best advice, and, and they share something in common. They gave me the same advice, uh, and maybe because I was not following <laughs> Ralph for the first time, and I, I, I heard from Anton again, it's like, make things simple. Don't overcomplicate. It's like, try to, especially when you're, position your your product or service to your customer try to make it so simple the decision process needs to be quite simple there there, there is no doubt about why the customer is purchasing your service or your product so okay. for, for me that that helped me a lot during my career especially when you're selling like derivatives and sophisticated financial products, it's easy to get things complicated. And, and the idea of simplify and making that uh, 
a simple trying to find a simple way to to for the customer to understand is was key and that is why for you and the business it's so important the customer journey and the customer. oh yeah right absolutely and it's simple but also very high quality yeah that's the idea Thank you so much for sharing all your journey and insights with us. I hope our audience really enjoys learning from you and the different products that Sellers Funding is offering. They can find you on your website, which is, can you share with the website? Sellersfunding.com, soon to become sellersfi.com. Um, and you can reach out to me also on LinkedIn. Um, That's the best way to reach out. Yeah. Okay, through LinkedIn. Perfect. And also follow Ricardo because I'm sure he's going to be sharing great news on his LinkedIn with all of you once you to you finish your rebranding and you roll out all the new products so that SMEs and any entrepreneur that is building a successful e-commerce business and has great products that wants to share with customers can tap and use your your products to really get to that end customer they want to get to so hopefully um, they can become your clients soon but yeah. thank you so much Ricardo it was a, a joy to speak to you today and thank you for everyone who is listening to our podcast thank you